Hi, everybody. Welcome to The Fundamentalists. This is a podcast that explores the possibility of whether there is life before death. Isn't that fun? That is fun. That's what a weird. great slogan. Yeah, no, but you say it, like, I think you have to say it, like, more, like, not that it's a big deal. Like, it's, like, life before death, whereas you, you put an emphasis on it, which makes people think that they have to be impressed by it. Right, it points the uh, attention directly onto yeah. the difference between the that phrase and the regular yeah. it makes it look like you've on. really worked on it yeah whereas maybe you want it to look like it's effortless yeah like you just thought of it off the cuff um everything i do is overthought and overdone yeah and so that's i if i came off too natural it wouldn't be wouldn't be you people wouldn't accept it anyway <laughs> thanks for being here this is uh elliot morgan speaking and i'm next to peter rollins and this is a podcast we do weekly ish um and this particular episode well first i guess we should do some housekeeping yes yes so how are you i'm good you're looking very tanned by the way i was kept looking at your legs and felt a oh, bit wrong for doing it but this well they're very attractive legs yeah. aren't they very skinny chicken legs but um yeah i was in the uh, griffith park for like five hours yesterday ah, very good doing a shoot that was torturous and terrible and uh baking in like a hundred degree heat wow and, yeah um but it was also you know fun and silly and i threw a frisbee and caught a frisbee at one point so no spoilers but i'm turning into a bit of an athlete i guess you could say you have been working out every day i work out five to six days a week beast bodies beast body yeah (laughs) i am using a workout program called beast body and uh, that is so not you it's so not me this is not the fundamentalist kind of like uh what would you call it um it's not on brand brand, for sure yeah Every time I do it, because it's a home workout system, and it's uh, from, like, the beach body people, and every time I finish doing it, I'm, like, I walk out of the workout room, and Grace is just, like, you feel, you, did you feeling like a beast? You feel, <laughs> did you go in there? Are you a beast yet? And I'm, like, yeah, I'm too much of a beast. But, yeah, it's one of those workout programs that's, like, this get to the beast channel the beast and, uh, <laughs> but it's you know i, I it's I'm working gaining weight yeah, yeah which yeah. is nice. nice um even though i don't look i also look emaciated in certain certain areas but that's just part of life so anyway yeah. um that's all fun also folks listening uh, i'm going to be in uh, detroit on october 2nd which is a wednesday and i'm going to be in chicago on october 3rd which is a thursday and october 1st is the release of my new comedy special holy shit which is a uh hour-long comedy special all shot in one take about divorce about religion about uh, Clydesdale horses and it was shot in a old historic uh, deli um, on Fairfax called Cantor's and the bar there which is Kibbutz room and um, I'm very excited it's from Comedy Dynamics and it just went public on Paste magazine like a week ago and now I can finally talk about it there's a trailer on Paste magazine there's gonna be stuff posted on the uh, web as well and you can get it probably on like Google and Amazon and uh, basically iTunes you can get it anywhere you can pre-order now and if I get around 500 pre-orders I will probably chart as a comedian which would be really cool Uh very exciting so we'll see if that happens and there's also I don't know if I'm supposed to say this or not there's also gonna be an album version that drops on like Spotify and uh, Google Play as well and that'll happen a few days later so anyway um, that's what I said I love the self-sabotage that you call your comedy special holy shit Mm -hmm. which means basically ensuring that you can't get it on very public platforms that don't use swearing 
Totally. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, that's good. <laughs> well, they kept going back, to this day. They're going back and forth with like whether to use an asterisk oh, with yeah. it, um, or to or to put the whole you know word shit in there. So I'm, I'm switching it up, and sometimes they use an asterisk and sometimes not. But it's a play on. Um, I don't know if we've talked about this, but it's a play on the term Felix Culpa, which was a term I heard in a talk I listened to between Rob Bell and Pete Holmes. Did I, did we talk about yeah, this? Yeah, we did. I knew that. Yeah, yeah, this is from forever ago when yeah. it wasn't a comedy special. It was like a straight up dark one man show. Uh, and then I lightened it up a little bit, I guess. But yeah, it was Felix Culpa was, is Latin for happy fall. And so happy fall and holy shit also play together. It's like happy, holy shit fall. Um, hap- good thing, negative thing. Um, but also it just, I thought it was fun. And it's also about religion and all that stuff. So yeah. Man, you've got loads of things going on. Touring. It's very fun. All the yeah. support for Bring the Funny has been great. We find out. Uh, we have to, we find out soon. And we find out. And if we find out and it's good, great. And I, uh, I'm very excited about it, but people have been very supportive over the Valley Folk bringing the funny stuff, which has been real cool. Very cool. Yeah, that's uh, that was my summation of it. Oh, and I'll be in Springfield, Massachusetts on November 1st and 2nd, which is a weekend. It's my first weekend show, and I'm really excited. That's all I got to say. Okay, so that was a great Fundamentalist episode. Thank you so Thank much, you so everybody. much for joining um, us. Yep. <laughs> and don't forget to check out, holy shit, come into a <laughs> computer near you. Uh, so this what, what per- is the theme today? This particular episode is about how to deal with people that you strongly, strongly disagree with. I love this subject. We've talked about it before, I assume. Um, I think the art of disagreeing with someone, the art of arguing, of being angry, of working through your own stuff is so fun. And I think it's a, it's a nice thing to think about. And it's a way to arm yourself and prepare yourself for situations that I think can negatively affect you if you're not aware of what's, what's happening. Yes. So what do you got? Disagreement. Um, yeah. Okay. I'll start off with a few thoughts and then we'll, we'll take it from there. Um, and obviously, it's a tough one because we all find it kind of difficult to uh, constructively disagree. Like, there's things. That no, we don't. <laughs> yep. Ha. There we go. Ha <laughs> ha. Very we're good. On. We're, we're off. We're on a roll. <laughs> um, uh, and also, it can even be um, it can be attacked. A lot of people think that oh, if you engage with people who you disagree with, who are the enemy, you're compromising. Uh, you're compromising on your moral position you're compromising on the good or whatever right yeah but um so let, let me start off and kind of maybe recap because i think we've talked about it before but like four very common ways in which we deal with people that we disagree with so the first one i love this this is one of my favorite things that oh is that right about. yeah oh, this okay. is one of my this is a greatest hits of peter rollins <laughs> in my opinion yeah well i mean uh, i stole this from i'm not sure who but um well obviously yeah, yeah, yeah. obviously uh the first is um, when you encounter someone you disagree with, you want to consume them. So your social body wants to integrate them into uh, so that they're part of your social body. So you want to take their difference, their otherness, their um, uh, disagreement, and you want to bring it into your community, integrate them into your system. And you think of a kid who puts something in her mouth. If it tastes good, she eats it, and that becomes part of her system. Mm-hmm. And then the second really common one is vomiting out. Just like a kid, if, if she puts it, this thing in her mouth and she doesn't like it, she spits it out. Uh, if I can't uh, integrate your otherness into my social body, I want to get rid of you. I want to push you out in some sort of way, excommunicate you. Uh, those are two obviously very common things we see today. I either try to convince you that I'm right, and if I can't, I want to avoid any contact with you. Mm-hmm. 
And then you hit a kind of a more, let's call it liberal kind of thing where uh, you might want to tolerate difference where you say, well, you know, we disagree, but we have to work together. So let's just not talk about your weird practices, your weird beliefs, and we can kind of get on well. Uh, and then there's this other position, which is... That's called being from the South. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Oh, that's uh, nice. It's, you know, I, I like that. You know, it can be quite, yes, it can yes, be quite nice Yes, you times. do. Yeah. <laughs> it is a good one. It comes yeah. in. I think they're all, they all come in handy in different Oh, yeah, different so. times. We've all done all of these. Uh, and the last one I'll mention is, before we get on to the, I think, the right one, is uh, like, you know what, beneath all of our differences there is something that is the same. So we're, we're all like blind people touching different parts of the elephant, or we're all lights that are shining on a different part of the shape, or we're all streams that are taking our source from the same underground uh, lake. Mm -hmm. uh, so there are kind of four different ways in which we deal with otherness. And in all of them, I'm right. And the first three, I'm right and you're wrong. And then the fourth, hey, we're both right, let's drink lemonade, right? Um, yeah, but, we're, and the fourth one, we're both right. It's just, I can't see how you're right and you can't see how yeah. I'm right. And, and we might but we see, can trust that on some level. We're both on right. some level, we're both somehow coming from the same source. We saw the same car crash from two different angles. Neither of us are lying. The truth is somewhere. Exactly, yes. And, and you know what? We can sit down and maybe we can try to work out where the similarities are. So that's kind of you know traditional interfaith dialogue, basically. is like we're mm -hmm. all, you know, and, and it, another way of saying is my religion is right for me or my political position is right for me and your religion is right for you mm -hmm. and your political position is right for you. And through dialogue we might get a bigger sense of the picture it's almost like we're too close to the picture so we see stains but if we're able to step back we can see that oh all of our different perspectives are part of the tapestry mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. of being itself um, and so yeah in all of these i'm right and to say the first three it's i'm right and you're wrong and the fourth we're both right yeah but perhaps a better way of thinking about otherness is that the most, the thing that we're protecting ourselves from, I think this is the trauma that we are other to ourselves. So we're always trying to kind of like avoid uh, confronting the otherness of someone else. Because if we see ourselves through their eyes, we might start to realize that we are other, that we are weird, that we are strange. So at first I look at some other community and I think they have strange practices. But if I hang around that community for long enough, I can see myself through their eyes mm -hmm. and I start to go, oh my goodness, my political, religious, cultural views are perhaps not just the way things are, but are actually quite bizarre in themselves as well. So this is where I think disagreement comes in. Is like we want to engage with the other, not so much so as to persuade them that we're right or even to be persuaded that they're right but rather so that we can be destabilized in our own positions, that we can start to see ourselves in a different light. Yeah. And that is a maturing and positive experience. Um, this reminds me of a previous episode that we Ooh. did with the Fundamentalists that has not gone up yet, which Ooh. I definitely knew moments just moments ago <laughs> i was definitely aware that the really cool episode that we have locked in did not in fact get uh, which makes sense because i expected to see some tweets about it oh yeah but, um do you what do you think should we talk about it what oh, are, yeah we can absolutely it's not really about the podcast itself but maybe talk i'm gonna hit on the, yeah, the theme and then a moment that happened afterward but basically 
we have, uh, I guess, maybe either last week or next week, depending on what order. Maybe this one goes up before? This might go up before, I think. So let's say next week we have Jay Baker on the podcast. And yep. I'm so excited. And I was excited then, and I'm still excited. Uh, and we talk about kind of this, the nature of con, what do you call it? Contrary, the, yeah. or contradiction? Contradiction, Just like yeah. inner contradiction, like the, the, the butting heads that happens internally. And then how Jay Baker's mom, Tammy Faye Baker, was sort of this embodiment of a contradiction that really worked for so many people because it captured like both sides, yeah. you know, both the secular and the fundamentalist uh, Christian world. But I did like my point Uh that happened at the end of it where Jay, because you were kind of talking about existing in the contradiction and then on the way back up to your room, Jay was saying how a lot of your, you know, philosophy, a lot of your ideas, Jay has been adopting and is learning more about. Um, And I was like, but don't agree entirely with Pete because if you do, you're going to lose the benefit of all that contradiction we just Uh, talked about for an hour. So I was like, agree partially with what he's saying about contradiction, but don't fully, you should also have some contradiction about his belief in contradiction. And that way you're getting all the benefits of contradiction. There you go. Very good. Well, yeah, I think that's probably good. I mean, yeah, like in, in philosophy, it's a good tip. Actually, we tend to try to either agree or disagree with somebody. Mm -hmm. So I come in, I listen to what you're saying, and maybe I agree with some of it, maybe I disagree with some of it. But what that basically means is I'm listening to what you're saying, and then the bits that I like, I put into my agreement box, and the bits that I don't like, I put into my disagreement box. Mm So actually, agreement and disagreement, although it sounds like I'm being critical because I'm, oh, agreeing with some of what you're saying and disagreeing with some of it, uh, that's not critical thinking. That is literally just putting what you're saying into my two pre-established boxes. Mm-hmm. What you really want to do when you read somebody or listen to somebody is try to let them destabilize your boxes. That's what you try and do in philosophy. So you don't read a philosopher to agree or disagree with them. You read a philosopher to be destabilized by them, to see yourself through their eyes, to ask, what do I look like to them? Uh, how does their world judge mine? And in doing that, there's there's real benefit. So yeah, so whenever it's someone that you know Jay says, oh, I, you know, I, I agree with what you're saying exactly. You're like, no, don't agree with me. Uh, hopefully, my work will be productive if it causes you to think differently. You're like, I'm right regardless of whether you exactly. agree with me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, that doesn't change. Yeah, no. this. Uh, it, I feel like this happens a lot in the uh, little I know or the little I've learned. <clears throat> Well, that's not fair. I've learned a fair bit from having a business and like operating a business. Mm-hmm. But having business partners means that I sometimes want a particular outcome to happen. I want a particular decision to be made. And I think that I have such a strong inclination to want to consume the other's uh, sort of disagreement with me mm-hmm. and sort of rearrange it because I'm so... I, I always have this naive belief that I can just explain and explain and eventually this person will come around to my understanding on a fundamental level of why we should do what we're doing. But what I found at times, and it's very difficult for me, is that sometimes the outcome that I want, because it is business and it is, it's a little bit more like there's certain things where it's just like this is, what I, this is the point I think we should get to. Mm-hmm. And... I think sometimes I get really hung up on the path to get to that point. And so I've had to learn to be like, like there's certain decisions that have been made where it's like, I agree with the decision. I agree with like the outcome, but I don't think it's 
should be done this way. I don't think it should be done for this reason. I think it should be. And it's like, I've had to stop doing that thing where I'm putting things automatically and obsessing over whether or not, do you understand? Like, do you understand why? Do you understand where I'm coming from? And it's like this weird insecurity where it's like, no, this is what I want to have happen. And it might not be exactly how I want it to happen, but we're going to get there. And that's nice. Yeah. And that's it. Like in terms of everyday life, I mean, if you're in business or in politics or in religion, whatever field, you're holding on very tightly to your position and the other person's holding on very tightly to their position. Um, Apart from anything else, um, well, movement doesn't happen. Nothing new happens. I mean, and the more I think that I'm right and the other person thinks that they're right, the more we get locked into kind of splitting. And, you know, so in Northern Ireland, I mean, for any peace process to happen, it's like you one has to open oneself up to the possibility of being wrong of seeing yourself through the eyes of the other and when that happens it's not even a moral thing you can take the morality out of it it's when you're in a space where you genuinely allow yourself to think that maybe you're wrong to listen to the other novelty can happen actually new ideas can arise that create solutions that you would never have imagined otherwise yeah so that's a big key for me is how, how do you create novelty and i think novelty arises when uh, you are open to listening to the other. Now, there's a few caveats. That one is you want to engage with people who are honest and in acting in good faith and who are intelligent, thoughtful, and have done work in that area. So you're actually looking for people who are better than you, smarter than you to disagree with. You're Instead of looking for the straw man, you know, you're looking for the person who is, uh, you know, is, is potentially better read than you, who, mm-hmm. who you disagree with. Yep. Yep. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah. a good point too, because you don't get caught. It's a lot of getting caught in the weeds, I think, and a lot. What do you mean, take the morality out of it? Like instead of like being like, this is the right thing to do. That's that does put a chip into the pot that is pretty like a lot bigger than what it normally needs to be. Yeah. Like, if you do this, then you're bad. Is that kind of what you're saying? Well, or, you know, take the example of you say Northern Ireland uh, with this peace process, where all sides, the paramilitary organizations, the government we're coming together to try to find a way to bring peace. There are some people going, you should never talk to terrorists, right? You, there are people who were murdered. So there is no com- no compromise. It's morally wrong to sit down with people yes. who are murderers. And there are people who are saying like, you know, the other side is like, you know, morally wrong not to try to make peace or whatever. But I'm saying, so just take morality out of it and just purely go from, from the perspective of Northern Ireland, sitting down at the, the table and being open to listening to the other allows for novel solutions to conflict. And, and morality, at, at, at the table, too much morality can actually get in the way of just being very pragmatic and saying, oh, when you engage with your enemy, uh, you can find ways of finding, pass forward in, in political conflicts, yeah. etc. Do you feel, I mean, uh, so much of what you talk about and I think what you've written about has been informed by what happened with the Troubles and, with North, and in Nor- Ireland and Northern I- Ireland, Southern Ireland, South Eye. Uh, I don't know what you would call that it. That was very well said. Yeah, the other one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, what's going on now there? Like, is there still stuff going on? Is there still outbreaks of whatever? And... Like, are you involved? Like, do you keep an eye on it? Or is it sort of just a point in history now? Or is it still, like, is the situation over there still a result or still unfolding as a result of this 
the troubles and all that. Yeah, I mean, there's. Uh, I know so little. I mean, I know no nothing about. It. I know it's informed so much of what you talk about that it seems to be like. I'm just curious if it's like, it, like if this situation now is a result of kind of the principles that you're talking about working in action. Yeah. Or if it's still a point of conflict, if there's still stuff going on, there. or if you even know, because maybe you, I mean you live in LA now in a, a back a back cave. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bruce Wayne's loft, but yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, no, I do keep an eye on it. And I, one of the things I like about Northern Ireland, and I do, it's a great example, I think, of some of the stuff I talk about, just like psychoanalysis can be, is that Northern Ireland is a place of uh, intractable contradictions and finding a way to live with them. Intractable? So, yeah, because like, I think we talked about this in a previous episode, I'm not sure, where I, I talked about how um, contradictions in your life, whenever you work through them, they don't, that you don't end up with a non-contradictory life. You you end up with deeper and deeper contradictions. So you eventually get to the point where there is a contradiction between, and in philosophy it's called being and nothingness, which is you are a becoming. So the, 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 the contradiction between being and nothingness is called becoming, where you are both what you are and you're not what you are, you're changing. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so in a similar way, Northern Ireland, is, it's weird. So it's, it's part of Ireland and it's also part of the United Kingdom. So there is this peace process where this contradiction, inherent contradiction is an inherent contradiction. Number one, number one, and with Brexit, it's going. It's a very similar thing. It's like Northern Ireland is potentially is the sticking point. It's this intractable contradiction within the Brexit process that will potentially allow Northern Ireland to be part of Ireland and to be part of the European Union and to be part of the United Kingdom and have a border without having a border and. Uh, all of these weird things and so for me northern ireland is we are a people who are very comfortable with with contradiction yeah so much so i think i talked about it before is that we have a city that has literally one name it's got two names and depending on what you name it right. depends Shibboleth, on your yeah. position yeah so it's like but it's it's a city that and some people call it stroke city because it's uh it's called dairy stroke london dairy so stroke city is the embrace of the contradiction directly it, uh, it, was a, it was a radio host who called it that, but it's like we're very comfortable with these crazy contradictions that once threatened to destroy Northern yeah. Ireland, but now, now I it's, think, almost, it's part of your identity. Yeah, and, and actually it makes it this incredible city. I, th- I like that. I mean, you yourself re- represent, I think, a microcosm of that kind of idea and this kind of, I mean, not that you're the sort of Unitarian, like in the mm-hmm. same way that they're part of the UK and the whatever and the whatever, whatever those crazy people over there however they designate their government it you know yeah. clearly doesn't work because ours is so much better and we have everything figured out but yeah. um yeah it's it's I, I like the idea of the uh existing with because i know you and i don't actually agree on everything no sure. because we it's i don't i'm just not there and you're not where i am so it's different but i also kind of like the i don't know there's a, a sense of whatever Whatever addition your, I think, particular stance is mm-hmm. uh, has in, affected me in a way that has freed me, ironically, from the need to align with a particular thing, yeah. which has been very nice because it is so much of your stuff is about engaging with the world and engaging with things around you and like diving into contradiction. And so it's like that part's great. Yeah. And then in addition to that, it allows me to just be like, I don't know, so there's a shift that that happened where it was like, I also think the, so much of these disagreements and, and disagreeing in general, it, 
it's so funny how much like and maybe you won't agree with this and this is a, I would love to hear you know your thoughts on it but like my psychology in or my state of mind from day to day or from season to season in life mm-hmm. very much dictates my ability to have productive disagreements with people where it's like I know that if I'm stressed out I know that if I'm like you know for a lot of the bring the funny stuff like that um in our group there there would be a focus on idiosyncratic stuff that did not matter at all and every everyone myself included would need to be like this needs to be like this and like clockwork we would just choose one thing to be like oh the, sh- the shoes need to be this co- the, it would be so detailed that no one would ever notice yeah and even if they did notice it wouldn't be as important as the possible detriment of super focusing and super disagreeing and you know being a stick in the mud about it and so yeah anyway it's i don't know exactly where i was going with that but the oh but then if it's a stress-free time you know if i when i was in the dumps and like i didn't have a job and you knew you knew me during this time mm-hmm. this is right when we really got to know each other when it was like real dark real down in the dumps that was the time when all of this stuff mattered so much yeah. that it's like now retroactively i can look at how much i care about something not that i don't care about things and that i'm apathetic because that's not true but like when i really feel that like that like tipping over into like an unhealthy kind of like no this i need to like like that kind of like like bratty, like, you know, why aren't you seeing it my way thing? Now, when I know, when I see that happening, I know it means that like something else is going on and some other kind of uh, environmental or circumstantial thing is affecting how much I care about this. So I, I do think a lot of what keeps people from having the ability to have good discourse is they're not taking care of the other things in their lives. Yeah, that's, I mean, the, yeah, very, very true. I and mean, propaganda works by increasing fear and stress. And then what you do is you are less critical, you're more dogmatic. I mean, that's why I don't do most social media anymore or anything like that. Is because yeah. I feel, find it, whether it's, whether it's conscious propaganda or not, there's a lot of stuff out there that is designed to evoke stress, to evoke anxiety, um, to you know, play into fears and phobias uh, to prevent the ability to think well, to prevent the ability from listening to the other. And that just creates a horrible environment of splitting. I mean, that's the defense mechanism where... Yeah, I guess I'm talking more of in a microcosmal personal way, but yeah, Yeah. it applies the same way in culture where it's like there's all these distractions. There's this illusion of complete chaos. There's this... Well, maybe it's not an illusion. Maybe it is complete chaos. I don't know. Maybe sometimes it's chaos. Maybe sometimes it's organized. But like there is this feeling that everyone has right now of uh, everyone's holding their breath. And that, I think, probably adds to the fever pitch. That's it. Like, so it's, it's not a conducive environment for thought or for reflection. So, and, and it's completely normal. Like when you break up with somebody splitting is when you might say they're all bad, they're terrible. It's their fault. And I'm innocent. And that's a defense mechanism. It's completely understandable, but it doesn't allow novelty to arise. It doesn't allow you to move on and new relationships. Mm -hmm. damages you and the other person if you stay stuck if you stay stuck there so eventually you have to find an environment that encourages you to be more nuanced and when that happens again i keep saying about taking the morality out of it because only so much as to say once you stop thinking about whether they're right or wrong and you start going i just need to let go of this i need to be in an environment where i can reflect on my pain a little bit 
listen to and think about the reasons why we broke up, that in and of itself will just be healing. That will bring healing. Healing and also probably prepare you to have a better relationship when you do get back oh, yeah. with someone. Like learning ahead of time that uh, you don't need to change the person and there's nothing that person should do is probably a good lesson to learn before you dive into your next thing. So you're not sitting there going like, well, this person did this, 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 which I do all the time. Yeah. I think everybody, if they, I'm, I'm very like, everyone should do what I, what I think yeah. they should do. Yeah. But I know that it's because a lot of the stuff worked for me. But then I get in my head and I go, oh, wait, no, it's, it worked for me. It doesn't mean it's going to work for now. It doesn't mean that, you know, yeah. or that they even care that much. So why am I investing emotionally into somebody, who, you know, somebody's journey that, you know, yeah. they're on their own thing. Yeah. That's no. some namaste, namaste crap <laughs> right there. I mean, and the, the position, I think you could boil it down to this instead of at the beginning. Well, I was before you, oh, you yeah. but, so I'm going to mute my microphone and I'm going to pour a little bit more scotch because oh, of that cool point I made a second ago that I was fully expecting you to be like, you're not, no, no. And so the fact that you didn't, I'm going to celebrate. Okay. All right. Thanks. Okay, but so keep yeah, talking. But I'm going to keep talking Great. until you come back. Perfect. All right. Oh God. Free, free, uh, chance to say whatever I want. Hey, um, yeah. Uh, oh yeah. So I was saying earlier about, uh, you know, we can say my religion or my political positions, right for me, uh, yours is right for you. Um, but the position I'm talking about is more saying my position is wrong for me and your position is wrong for you. And how this pans out, if you take the example of Republicans, uh, debating Democrats, traditionally you have, uh, Democrats on one side, Republicans on the other. Each side is trying to convince the other that they're right. And what happens is everybody just gets more intractable in their own positions. The, an alternative way of debating is to say, listen, I say I'm a Democrat and I, you're probably not gonna convince me to become a Republican, but my position is probably wrong in lots of ways that I can't see. So I want you as a Republican party, I want you to show me what I'm missing. I want you to help me be a better Democrat, not to become a Republican, but to see the problems within my position. And on the other side, if I'm a Republican, I'm again saying, you're probably not gonna make me a Democrat, but there must be something I'm missing because there's so many of you who are reasonable and thoughtful who don't agree. So help me see what are the limits in my position so that I can become a better Republican. Man, I got it for four seconds and you went full Peter Rollins. Like oh, yeah. you didn't no, that was very good. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that I mean it sound that sounds like curiosity. Like you're talking about just being curious. And I feel like the that's when I, like you were saying before, these types of discussions should happen with people who are kinda like, you know, like aware and like all there and i feel like what def what frustrates me the most politically on both sides is a lack of curiosity about the other one and it's why i get crap for being i get called alt-right i get called all this crap because i make fun of democrats pretty regularly yeah. and people think that it's me i've been it's been oh man i've been gaslighting i think is what i was i've been accused of whistleblowing and like all this stuff and it's like or dog whistling is dog that? whistling uh, yeah, yeah, yeah 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 not whistleblowing i didn't yeah. i didn't uh i didn't uncover any big conspiracies yeah i didn't think so that uh, i'd heard of yet yeah, yeah. 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 um yeah. Yeah. but yeah it, there's it's it, yeah it's a yeah, yeah that's i mean i i i'm personally I'm very concerned with what what's being called uh, the American left although I don't think it is a left position and kind of liberalism and neoliberalism and um, yeah what's going on 
within that community, partly because I guess I live in Los Angeles where I'm around more people who yeah. take that position. And it concerns me that uh, there isn't a real engagement with honest, intelligent uh uh, opposition yeah um and i think it's just again just it's just if that's not happening we are going towards a disaster you you create a community that is increasingly split on all sides and um then there's no room for novel change for like movement forward and it's yeah. it's quite discerning it's scary it's uh it's intimidating i think to dive into the world of like show me how i'm wrong because mm -hmm that is a never that's a bottomless pit like yeah. there's no world in which i will never not be learning how i'm wrong again uh either in relationships or in politics or anything else and uh dude i was like i think it was twitter or like you it was youtube um grace posted a video i was in it or i think it was some kind of yeah oh yeah it was just she made me the cake that was in the shape of dick and balls and all that. oh yeah so i'm reading through the comments and uh which i'll do once or twice and then won't again and then we'll again and then not but uh you do I, it for five hours a day i've seen you it goes for five yeah. hours yeah and then <laughs> i won't for four or five no yeah, do it again yeah, for five, yeah, hours. five hours um yeah and one of the comments was like it just said, is Elliot still anti-choice? And I looked at that comment and I was like, wow. My first instinct was like, well, they're th talking about somebody else. Like they're talking mm. about another. I was like, Ant I don't even know what that anti It's like, it was so long since I even heard that yeah, term. Yeah. And I was like, oh, and oh, like pro oh, oh. And I was like, oh yeah, I have spoken publicly about abortion and like stances on it and growing up Republican and having that kind of like, outlook on things and and still knowing people who are very pro-life or anti-choice or whatever you want to call it mm. and it i've spoken about it being a, a subject that is is inherently contradictory is inherently difficult and everyone it gets very up in arms about it yeah. but it was so interesting that i didn't put it together that it was even applying to oh, me yeah. for like a while yeah. like there was a lot of like Oh yeah, I guess I did used to. I guess I did used to align with that label, and then it made me just start thinking about the subject all over again. Mm -hmm. And I saw or could tell that I had changed and and had sort of adopted a lot of the views of the people in Los Angeles and people that I know personally, and all that. Where it's just like, oh yeah, of course, like I'm. You're going to be affected by your surroundings and the people around you. And but I still. I mean, it wasn't like I looked at it and was like, oh, I'm not that anymore. Yeah. I was just like, I'm not. All right. Yeah. Oh. Like I started living life instead of obsessing over what boxes I fell into at some point, at least in terms of that box. And it seemed to have worked out, but it was so interesting to see that blast from the past. It was yeah. like a time capsule of like, oh, this is actually, yeah, no, that was me. Yeah, okay, cool. I have to own that. Yeah. This is a great example of, some, of the complexity of issues. So I think abortion is a great example <laughs> this of this. This is a great example of denial. Yeah, no, is that <laughs> for me, like, uh, you know, this everybody wants to simplify the debate of abortion are you pro-life or pro-choice there's there is a there is a real uh for me difficulty in that right the major difference between whether you're pro-life or pro-choice is not to do with uh, whether you're a man or a woman they're you know statistically pretty similar it's actually to do with if you're poor uh if you're religious if you have a lack of education and if you're conservative you're more likely to be uh, pro-life and if you're educated wealthy uh, liberal 
um, I can't remember the other one, uh, and secular, you're more likely to be uh, pro-choice. So this is a real difficulty for someone who is genuinely um, for the poor. So if you're, if, and I'm only saying if, but if you are someone who is politically for the, uh, the economically oppressed, the idea that there is an alienation um, that is hard baked into our structure that exploits uh, working class. Right? I know you mean the word alienation, but it definitely, in my mind, I uh, for a moment was like alien nation. Ooh. A nation of extraterrestrials, <laughs> which sounds pretty cool. I wish I could see not thought what bubbles. You meant. <laughs> yeah, I wish I could see thought bubbles above your head when I'm so going I'm gonna off. Put it together. Yeah. It's going to fall into yeah. all the little pieces you're saying. Okay, yeah. yeah. Anyway, go ahead. so it, so if you if if genuinely you're you are from the working class and for the working class, then it's not really a simple issue because you have to work out why actually within those communities more people are pro-life. You have to understand the reasons for that. You be sympathetic for that. That doesn't mean you have to be pro-life. But suddenly it becomes this really interesting thing where, oh, hold on. So I'm, I live in Hollywood. I live in Los Angeles. I have enough money to, and, uh, you know, to not have to worry about work too much and I get to do this stuff. And yeah, or family. Like I get to choose to like not have a kid. Yes, and I can not, yeah. not to do that. I, I, I potentially have a very different view of the value of children. All of this stuff is very easy for me then to paint the other position as somehow inherently bad or wrong. But my position, because I am inherently, uh, you know, for the working class, that's kind of my broad position. And we should talk politics someday. Um, but, but, but that means that something like abortion becomes, again, a type of deadlock, and, but, but one that can be really productive. Mm -hmm. that can actually lead and I, I keep using the word novelty i hate the word progress so I, i'm using the word novelty instead of progressive because progressive leads to the idea of course that you're moving forward and we're kind of like getting to more and more light novelty simply means that in a given situation you are able to create solutions that uh, are beneficial to that moment in history and i think on a personal level you know novelty in your heart when you feel it you can be like okay that is something that i have not i'm feeling and thinking at the same time right now and there is a new revelation that's happening and also the word progress is like it's already been it's 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 a shibboleth or whatever yeah. it, like it's when you say progress it's it's yeah. it implies yeah that um you're already on one side well, yeah well it implies you're, you're progressive right. you're progressive so it implies like i'm progressing so the the, the most humble i like it though be, i mean i use it i think progress is i that this would be where we mildly i yeah. would say the word but i wouldn't yeah i would know why i would also be like yeah don't whatever because yeah because yeah, my, my concern is like when you when one uses the word progress the most humble you can be is say i'm going to care about and love people who are wrong but you know that's that's the most you can do you can't literally go in and say i might be wrong um yeah i might be seeing this in a, in a negative way but but yeah we should let's do it we always do this is terrible so like we talk in the podcast about podcasts we should do but we should do something on the term progressive yeah definitely because for, for me there's a comedian is it mark hedge mitch hedberg yes mitch hedberg. Mitch, mitch hedberg right he has this great joke um where he says that he's talking about Bigfoot and he says that all the pictures of Bigfoot are fuzzy. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, he does the punchline, which is a brilliant punchline. He says, my theory is Bigfoot is fuzzy. 
says that's the that's the reason it's not it's not because we can't focus on bigfoot but it's terrifying there's some monster out there who's just inherently fuzzy except i think mitch i think the genius of mitch is that he i think his only line in that joke is maybe bigfoot's just fuzzy yes and he lets the brain he lets the audience put it together like but it's brilliant it's a brilliant insight because that that is which i could be wrong too yeah no 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 you're absolutely right but that that is kind of like the definition of quantum mechanics is we get to the quantum level and we think uh it's fuzzy because we lack the equipment to clarify it to focus it and then with the move from albert einstein to niles bohr is the movement of realizing oh it's not fuzzy because we can't you know get equipment that will focus it reality itself is fuzzy so in this discussion it's like saying that it's it's not that disagreement brings you to eventually to the truth so if we disagree enough back and forth thesis antithesis eventually we get to the synthesis we mm-hmm. eventually move forward the more radical idea is that um the truth is the disagreement itself that the very nature of entering into discursive dialectic kind of engagement doesn't lead you to the truth that is the truth there is a fundamental inability to grasp reality and clarity and our ability to argue and to find unique solutions through the arguments is not a path towards the truth it is the truth itself yeah so it's it's a, it's a so, so in other words disagreement is a political act this like is conflict is a political act not to because i i don't want to talk out my butt or talk about truly i have a very amorphous and i don't even know i truly don't know my own opinion and own thoughts on the subject of abortion to the point that i say that with complete sincerity i don't know yeah but i know i'm disenfranchised with the discussion around it because it has become and i also think it's a perfect uh, example of when talking about the nature of disagreement because it's so polarized and so on both sides and so like like it's so frustrating that there's not any added layer to that discussion right yeah. now and it, it hasn't been my entire life like i was raised by a mom who is pro-life or was i don't know exactly her exact stance now but i'm sure it leans well after pro-life. having you i'm sure it's more pro-choice yeah right yeah. Yeah. <laughs> regret uh but yeah it's like buyer's I, remorse yeah. buyer's yeah, yeah and who wouldn't yeah. uh it was broken upon uh <laughs> upon delivery but um yeah he uh the the subject is like the conversation as a male uh, in Los Angeles who used to live in in Florida and was raised by a female who was pro-life or, or whatever you would call it has now it's like I'm like how my entire life I've been like how is no how do you how does this entire side think that this entire side thinks this and how does this entire side think that this entire side thinks this and there's no one in the middle like yeah. and if you are in the middle then it's like well you can't if you are in the middle, you better not be, you have to also be the right gender. You have to be the right, like whatever, you have to be the right, you can't speak out of your, you know, stay in your lane kind of deal. So it's so just like, who wouldn't just step away from that kind of subject? And who wouldn't step away from any disagreement in general when it becomes so polarized that that thing that you're talking about, that moment of like the truth in the contradiction is impossible to even get yes. to because those the sides aren't even remotely Yes. Touching. That's that polarization is a beautiful word for it. And the, the, the 
always the temptation is to change uh, contradiction into opposition. So Todd McGowan talks about this where he says, we take a contradiction and we make it simple by making it an opposition. I'm right and you're wrong. Um, but here's, here, like, here's how I think it would look. And I, I don't even think this is imaginable at the moment. But what if people who are pro-choice and people who are pro-life get together without presupposing that they're right, but going, we are missing something and we want, we don't know where this conversation is going to go. That's key. Like we, instead of me thinking, I know exactly where I want this to be. I, I know exactly where I want this I to be. I know end. what they're going to say. I know what my yeah. response is. I have the statistic that spears it. Yeah. So kind of getting rid of all of that and going into the room and genuinely saying, we're going to listen to you. You're going to listen to us. And all we know is that we're going to create an environment where, where novelty might arise. And again, by novelty, it may not work, but we may actually find uh, ways to move forward um, that we wouldn't otherwise have imagined. It's almost like where there's two or more gathered in my name, there <laughs> I will be. There you go. That's beautiful, beautiful. And here's the trick. It's like, it's like you know, if someone says to me, you know, what, what do I think that would look like? I genuinely have no idea because in this philosophy of entering into the room with, with just purely to have conflict, and I mean conflict in the sense of, uh, I've said this before about a comedian, Dylan Moran, mm -hmm. once said war is the absence of conflict. You know, war is you want to kill the other, but conflict is when you want to enter in. By entering in, you're going like, I don't know what document we're going to come out signing. I, I, I've got ideas of where I would like it to go, but genuinely the future is open and let's see what happens. That's where, weirdly, you can actually maybe get to positions where everybody's unhappy, but in a way where everybody's happy that they're unhappy, everybody's making compromises, everybody's kind of like having to sit in the room together. Mm -hmm. Things can happen. And ultimately something does happen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And sometimes, and you know, sometimes it can take years for it to happen, you know, it's not, but it's how do we create those conducive environments? Um, I think I mentioned to you on this podcast, it's Guy Beyond, who was once asked about an organization that was in chaos. He said, like, you know, you're part of this organization. What do you think the answer is? And he said, the organization is so chaotic <clears throat> that it doesn't have the conditions where I can think. And that's, <clears throat> yeah. that's kind of what I'm saying is that, that at the moment, we're not even in a place where there are enough spaces where true thought and true engagement can happen. So the first step is how do we create more of those spaces? Uh, yeah. yeah, I feel like um, on a personal, to go back down, scale mm. down a little bit, um, there is a lack of patience that can happen very quickly with when it comes to like disagreement, political disagreement, any kind of thing like that, where it's like, okay, if I don't get my point out and convince you in the next 30 seconds, yeah. and then you expound on that in a societal level, and it's like, we need to fix everything with the next election. Everything must be fixed. Yeah, and yeah. everything must be, this is, you know, everything that is now is wrong, and we know the right thing because it's the opposite of how things are now, and if you find out something that is now, that means it's new and worse than it's ever been, and therefore we must fix it immediately. And it's like, I mean, I know in my own life, it's a lot of like going, all right, I'm just, it, you know, yeah. we'll get there. Hopefully oh, yeah. we get there. We'll try to get there. Mm -hmm. And it, if not now, maybe something can push for, forward for lack of a better term. And then maybe next time a little better after that. Well, if, and then if, you die. Yeah. But if, yeah, if you reduce contradiction to opposition, then you can always have the politics of if we only get rid of that group, everything will be good. Right. We talked, yeah. yeah. And, yeah, and the problem with that is because 
well, I, you know, I would argue that that contradiction is part of reality. Therefore, that never works. So if you if you have a politics where it's like, and and the hypochondriac's a perfect example. You know, a hypochondriac loves their disease. They they think they hate it, but they actually love it because the disease covers over an inherent uh, antagonism in their life. They can blame it on thinking they have cancer. So the, the disease actually holds them together. They need the disease that they think they hate. Mm-hmm. Often we have an enemy, an opposition, and we think if only we get rid of them, everything would be great. But what that opposition is doing is simply covering over deeper antagonisms and problems and anxieties. And if you ever get rid of your enemy, then you'll realize that you know you can't get rid of that anxiety. Yeah. So any politics of opposition is, is doomed to failure. And uh, we see that all the time, politics of, of opposition. Politics of opposition is doomed to failure. Yeah. So I, and in, I think we've talked about this before, but I had a group called the Evangelism Project in Belfast. And the idea was we would go to groups to be evangelized by them. And so the, the idea is whatever you are, whatever political or religious persuasion you and your friends, friends are, you would then go to some opposite. So if you're all Democrats, you'd maybe go to a, a Republican meeting and you would invite, you'd ask if you could come, if you could talk to them. And you would let them try to evangelize you a bit so you'd learn a little bit about their position. But the evangelism didn't happen then. The true evangelism happened when we asked the group that we were visiting, what do we look like to you? Uh, you know, say it's a, a Republican group or a Democratic group or a Christian group or an Islamic group. You go like, what do we look like to you? And you see yourself through the other's eyes. And that leads to evangelism. I, you start to try to become better. I need your eyes in order to see myself. There's blind spots. And I invite you to speak into my life I try to make changes. And the beautiful thing is that encourages the other group to do the same. As soon as you get out of this conflictual oppositional politics, where you basically just become more and more entrenched, you can eventually get to the point of going like, no, I'm not trying to convince you of anything. I think you might help me be better and our community be better. And we genuinely, if if you want to act in good faith, and then we genuinely want to learn from you and that they will potentially do the same thing in return yeah i mean that's definitely in the uh you had to trust that the person doing that the, the person going what do i look like to you mm. is coming from a place that's not just of psychops because that's like with great power comes great responsibility and that yeah. is a great move <laughs> like to be like and how do you view me because that like you have to i would imagine the caveat there is you have to sincerely be asking yeah. that because most people i'm i could put that as a, a feather in like cap or tool in my kit and be you know have a debate with someone you know over thanksgiving and be like well what is it that you think about me because i know what's going to make me look like a good person and then they're going to be like uh uh, well um, what do you think of me and then i'm going to be like oh i think you're great and then i'll say something nicer than they said about me and then i'll have the moral high ground yeah yeah so you have to actually like humble yourself there's a lot of plays in that yeah that's a and a big thing is chess yeah yeah and there's a big thing as well where you might choose a group because you're self-critical of your own position and you know what they're going to say and they're going to critique you. But yeah. that's you still being in control because you know why you're wrong. See, the, the point of destabilization is you don't know where you're right or where you're wrong. Um, you really do want to engage with true otherness um, so as to 
kind of be completely destabilized. But but in a practical way, like you're saying, it's not as well finding anybody. Like I read uh, honest conservative philosophers and I love it. And uh, I don't necessarily kind of like find myself uh, warming to their position in some ways, but it's so brilliantly critiques my, some of my own mm-hmm. position and helps me see things in a new way. But I trust them because these are people who have read, studied, reflected. So I'm looking for the best of the opposition. Have you ever actually been convinced? Have you like in when you're in, in these readings, have you been like, well, got me? Well, yeah, well, you know, I want to, without this sounds like a, a you know, a, a pretentious answer, but I go like every time in that, every great philosopher will destabilize you. It's, it doesn't mean that <laughs> every you, time, and then I'm learning new ways that I'm right, and it's perfect. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but like any great thinker will have the effect of destabilizing and helping you enrich your conversation, enrich your worldview. And, you know, I don't go into any philosopher going, where do I agree or disagree, but more, how does their thinking help unconceal the world in new ways? Yeah. And, um, and uh, it's uh, it's a interesting way to to do it. And so, and I think, for example, if you're in the secular world, reading some uh, conservative religious philosopher like someone like Gabriel Marcel or Thomas Aquinas, or whatever, it, it actually will critique you in a great way. And again, if you are a religious thinker, uh, you know, reading someone like uh, you know from Nietzsche to Freud to Derrida, that's going to be a very enriching experience. So yeah, I think I think any great thinker will do this to you. Cool, I like yeah. that a lot, um, man. Good podcast, man. Mm. We have a good podcast. This mm-hmm. is good. This is good stuff. Uh, it's a good. I'm glad we started this podcast because it's a good podcast. I, I'm listen. We need to. I, I always worry that we're gonna let the ball drop. You never let the ball drop. I'm more likely to let the ball drop. I like the ball but drop. I love doing this, man. Man, it's very fun. Yeah. Uh, what, have you got a good takeaway from this? Uh, it reminded me of uh, yeah I got two takeaways one oh. is where two or more are gathered I will be there too which is the um, the it, it, when you're talking about a lot of the interfaith communication that happens it reminded me of how growing up there would be books that would be um, explaining other faiths explaining other worldviews and how they compare and contrast with Christianity and obviously I'm sure they were, it was biased and you know it would be everything all roads would lead back to Christianity in some way but um it's interesting that in the same way, you know, I like to think I've grown so much, but in the same way that that book is this detached black and white words on a paper, here's what they think, yes or no, you know, the, the voting guides that you see that's like, this candidate thinks this, this, and this on this issues, and then you kind of find the grid person that you agree with mm-hmm. most technically, and you go with that person. All that stuff, and then now to this day, I'll, you know, the most I'll do is maybe look up a YouTube video or find a personality that represents an opposing worldview, but I'm not really engaging with them on a direct personal level. I'm just sort of seeing what they've decided to put out into the world. And so I think that there is a, a truth to the, that, that biblical idea of going, you find the person or maybe maybe don't find them, don't seek them out because that's kind of weird and maybe you don't have the time. But like when you come across someone who is different from you, um, viewing it as an opportunity to actually disorient yourself uh, is, for one, I think practically speaking, it takes you out of the stress of meeting somebody new and, and meeting somebody different from you. And if you can 
amp up the curiosity and amp down the clenching that you have on your own beliefs and morals and ideas and personality, then it creates, like you're saying, novelty, which I think is very good. Um, and, and yeah, and it's like going back to the childhood book of all the different religions and faiths, it would be a different scenario if it was a living room filled with each person that believed those different faiths. Like a human being themselves is better than any kind of information or any kind of uh, ammo that you're gonna acquire by Googling stuff online would be yeah. my takeaway. Like, like the interaction of hum with humans is the most important uh, part. Which almost you could argue that God would agree with since he sent his, his son <laughs> to deal with us. Yeah. Uh, okay, what's my takeaway then? How can I follow that? Um, yeah. yeah, I, w I, I would mean ultra call. Yeah, ultra call. Um, yeah, basically what I'm kind of trying to like push in, in, in this kind of discussion is potentially the idea that we all think that disagreement's good. I mean, I think most of us think that even if we don't practice it, we kind of in theory can say it's good. But we often think it's good because it leads to the truth. You know, we, we disagree, we argue, we kind of maybe get closer and closer to the, 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 the real answer, the truth. And what I'm almost arguing here is that, no, 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 you don't enter into disagreement and conflict to get to the truth. The disagreement and the conflict is the truth. That actually, um, when you enter into genuine, uh, messy uh, discussion without knowing where you're going, just purely to try to see if novelty can arise and novel solutions to problems can arise, you're actually in the truth. That is, you're in the nature of reality. Um, without getting too philosophical, somebody might want to argue that. Please don't. Yeah. yeah, please don't. Yeah, but that the universe is. Um, has novelty hard baked into it, has undecidability hard baked into it, and so when we I had a new strain of weed last night, and yeah, I also felt like I was pretty hard baked. Yeah, in yeah. novelty, and it was very nice. Yeah, keep going. Nice. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> that uh, wasn't good. I <laughs> uh, hope the weed was good. Yeah, um, yeah. So that you you're you're like um, by entering into that chaos, it's kind of like evolution itself. It's like you're entering into the chaos and the chaos creates complexity, creates solutions within an environment. And it's it's not so much progress in the sense of you're moving towards the truth because you're kind of creating the truth. You're creating um, responses. And the more we can have communities that do that, the more that we can exhibit that in our own lives and uh, in the political lives and cultural lives, um, potentially the more good um, they will have positive impact on wider society and again not this is not an, a means to an end this is the end in itself it's not that you're moving towards the utopia through doing this yeah, type the of means are the end the means are the end it's 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 the 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 lack of the utopia and the engagement and conflict is what's going to hopefully hopefully uh, result in society prospering rather than being annihilated. Except sometimes I'm right and you're wrong, and sometimes you're right and I'm wrong. Very. I've never seen you be right, but I'm winning. That one thing I just said, though, there, kind of, maybe. Is that right? Say it again? Sometimes I'm, well, yeah, you're right. I guess maybe that's <laughs> not. Hmm, that's tough. Uh, yeah, excellent stuff. Thank mm -hmm. you, Pete. And uh, anybody listening, please watch Bring the Funny on NBC this Tuesday. This yes. is, that's this Tuesday, September 10th at 10 p.m. I would really love if you watched it and I hope everything goes well. 
And I'll say, and that's the end of that. Great. I feel like there was something else I was going to say, though. No, I don't remember. I don't know. I'd never have dead air. That's a perfect yeah. ending. <laughs> All right. Cheers. Thanks, Pete. Bye. Bye. Bye.